0: If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will come up to you. Got one over here. A couple Bibles over here. This, you can keep them up. Get a couple over here. We li- like not only to hear God's word, we like to see the word of God right in front of us. So we're going through James chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are in verse 11 of the book of James, chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 11 says this, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let us pray. Father, I just thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for the worship which has opened up our hearts. It's opened up my heart just to the word of God this morning. We come here, Lord, eager to hear from you. I just pray that I would not be a hindrance, Lord, to that happening, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So the book of James, actually it's a letter, was written to Jews in the first century. They had put their faith in Christ and uh, a lot of them had experienced persecution, many of them uh, severe trials, severe hardship. Uh, At this time when a Jew put their faith in Christ, I understand sometimes this still happens, it was not unusual for a Jewish family to have a funeral for uh, their family member. If the family member gave their life to Christ, the Jews would be thrown out of the synagogue. And the synagogue was really the center of, of life and community. They Many of them lost their business or employment, so James writes to them a letter. And how does he begin the letter? He begins the letter by saying this. He, he begins the letter by saying, My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into various trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James 1 verse 2. And count it all joy. Come on, James. Why not? Hey, guys, I really feel sorry for you. I wish you were here. I could pat you on the back. Why are you telling us, James, count it all joy? Well, we talked about that. But in a nutshell, you know, we count it all joy When we experience trials, hardship, sufferings, because it is then that we really get to know Jesus. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, said this. He said in chapter 4, verse 10, he talked about his greatest desire was to know Christ. And he he just, he, he was telling them, you know... I want to know Christ. I want to know his resurrection power. I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. And, and so that's how uh, James uh, begins his uh, letter. It's, it's, you know, you know I count it all joy, brethren. Here we go. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, But let patience have its perfect work. The problem with many of us is that in trials, in hardship, we don't let patience do its perfect work. We do the opposite. We let impatience do its imperfect work. We let impatience do its imperfect work. We... uh, you know, and James, he, he's observed this. That's why he uh, wrote this letter. People fed up with being on the potter's wheel. God's the potter. We are the clay. And he's, uh, he's fed up. Uh, we get fed up, and we get impatient, and what do we do? We go off, and we start living the kind of life in which we'll never get to know Jesus. A life in which we depart from Jesus and his word. So, James observes this. That's why he writes letter, uh, the letter, this letter, uh, to, to, um, to the Jews all over, actually, that were scattered all over the world. So, on that note, I just want to say something to, to provide a little bit more foundation here. You know, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we become joined to him. Literally, literally in the supernatural realm, we become joined to Christ. The Bible teaches that he is the vine, and we are the branches. That's in John 15. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, he is the bridegroom, we are the bride. The Bible says that, uh, in addition to that, it says that Jesus is the head of the body, and we are a member of the body. Those are just wonderful pictures, metaphors, that are used in the Word of God. They illustrate an inner reality that is real. That when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're joined to Him. He is the vine, you are the branches. He is the bridegroom, you are the bride. He is the head, you are the member. And and, and so, if you... Say that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you say that you've been joined to him, but, and this is the theme of this letter, as time goes by, nothing happens in your life where you begin to look like Jesus. You need to ask yourself whether you were ever joined with him in the first first place, whether your faith is real. Because if you're joined with Christ, the Bible says, you will begin to look like him. And you know, these are hard questions. That's the wonderful thing about the Bible. The Bible doesn't avoid hard questions. Now, please understand, all of us stumble and fall in many ways. James himself says that in verse 1 of, of chapter 3. However, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, the Bible says we are joined To him. He is the vine, we are the branches. He is the head of the body, we are the member of the body. He is the bridegroom, we're the bride. And after a while, we will begin to look like him. So, James is observing how these folks are responding to trials. Severe trials in their life. And how rather than allowing patience to perform its perfect work, rather than living by His Word... They're responding in the opposite way and they're letting go of, of, of God's word and they're laying a hold of other things. They're letting go to the point where their lives are looking less and less like Jesus' life. So James starts at, uh, to, to question them. Is your faith in Christ real? Is it alive? So in chapter 2, he, 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 he begins to lay this all out. He teaches them. He says, verse 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And just in case they didn't hear him, three verses later, faith without works is dead. And in case they really weren't uh, listening to him, he says it a third time in verse 26, faith without works is dead. You know, when the Holy Spirit continues to tell us the same thing, it's the Lord's way of saying we're knuckleheads and he's trying to get in and we're not listening. Faith without works is dead. Now, please, 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 please make sure you don't misunderstand. The Bible says that faith, there's only one thing that opens up heaven to us, and that is faith. Not good works, faith. Faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing gets us into heaven. Faith in Jesus and what he did for us. The Bible says we can't work our way into heaven by good works, nor can we work our way out of heaven by bad works or by not doing enough good works. Heaven is a gift of God, which we receive simply by faith. No amount of good works will get you into heaven. There is only one good work that can get someone into heaven. That's the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. He took all our sin, all your sin, and, and, and he was judged for it on the cross. He was raised from the dead and now offers eternal salvation to you for free. You are saved by faith, not by works. However, a saving faith, if you have it, if it's been deposited into your heart, which the Bible says the Lord does, we can't manufacture faith. God gives it to us if you have a saving faith over time good works will proceed and that's James point a saving faith over time will produce a life that listen looks like jesus looks like the the one to whom you are joined that's his point What does a person's life look like when they have a saving faith? What does a person's life not look like when they have a saving faith? Most of James' letters dedicated to answering those questions. So in chapter 1 and chapter 3, he spends a lot of time on the tongue. Sort of made us bristle as he brings up the tongue over and over. The life that is uh, produced by a saving faith will be characterized by restraint of the tongue... Be quick to listen, slow to speak, James says in chapter 1. In chapter 3, he says, if a man does not stumble with his words, the whole course of his life will become godly over time. So in chapter 4, as if we have not heard enough about the subject, James brings it up again. And that's where we began this morning, verse 11 of chapter 4. Do not speak evil of one another, he says. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. So now James is zeroing in on a particular issue regarding the tongue. He's talked about the tongue in chapter 1, chapter 3. Half the chapter of chapter 3 is about the tongue. But now he, he's sort of zeroing in uh, on a discrete issue here. It's the way you use your tongue with your own family members, and I'm not talking about your biological family, I'm talking about the family of God. As I mentioned before, the family of God, the church, is His body. It is the body of Christ. Again, Ephesians 5 says, Jesus is the head of the body, we're the members of His body. And listen, when we create division or animosity within the family within the body, his body, because of something that comes out of our mouth, God takes it really seriously. We'll see that. Look at these verses. This is my favorite on the subject. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. These things, rather these six things, the Lord hates. Strong word, that word hate. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. What does that word abomination mean? In the Hebrew, it means a sin of exceedingly great magnitude. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Number one, a proud look. Number two, a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that devises wicked plans. Number five, feet that are swift. In running to evil. Number six, a false witness who speaks lies. And what is an abomination to the Lord? One who sows discord among brethren. One who, with their mouth, with their tongue, sows division in the family of God. The Bible says that in God's eyes, he not only hates it, it's an abomination. A sin of exceedingly great magnitude. Why? Because it's misrepresenting his own body. The body of Christ. Look at verse 9 of the next chapter, chapter 5. What does it say? It says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, this doesn't mean that God is going to take some Christian and throw them into hell. That's impossible. That can't happen. What it does mean is that the Lord will take action to make sure his body, the body of Christ, is not being misrepresented. And it may mean discipline in our lives, your life. Hebrews chapter 12 says... That if God never disciplines us, we are illegitimate children because any loving father disciplines his children. It says, it says the judge is standing at the door. If you're out yakking about, about speaking evil against a brother or a sister, beware, James is saying, the judge is standing at the door. You ask Pastor Steve, does Jesus have anything to say about this subject, Jesus himself. Of course, Jesus actually wrote the Bible, the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Father, are three, yet one. So he, he, he wrote it, but specifically in John chapter 17 of the book of John, John records a prayer uh, by Jesus to God, a prayer that he prayed on the same night he was arrested. Among other things, he prays this. Verse 21, I pray that they may be one. Verse 22, next verse, I pray that they may be one even as we are in one. Next verse, verse 23, I pray that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. Three times. When he's praying on before, right before he's arrested, three times. Remember the other thing he prayed about three times, or at least three times, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he, right before he was arrest, arrested, he, as he was praying, so intense was his prayer. The book of Luke says that he was uh, sweating drops of blood, which is an actual a physical medical condition for someone who's under great stress. Father, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Three times. But he also prays this. That they may be one. Make them one, Father. Please make them one. And, 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 you know, why so much emphasis on that prayer? That the church would be one. I believe it's this. You know, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, they fell under a curse, the Bible says. One was that there would be animosity uh, uh, among them. In Genesis chapter three, the, the God the Father tells God tells Eve, "Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you." There'll be animosity, conflict within the family. It was passed right on to their children. Cain killed Abel, and the curse afflicts all humanity to this day. But the Bible says Jesus paid. For that curse, he became a curse for us. Christ, Galatians 5, 12 says, has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He came to break the curse. He died to end the conflict among us, among the family. He has broken the curse among us. In John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, Father, I know my death won't be in vain, please, Lord, Father, make them one. And so, you know, Satan just wants to stir up conflict within a church body so that it will have, once again, the mark of the curse on it. And Jesus is praying against that. Satan wants to stir up conflict in the family, but glory to God, Jesus has redeemed us from it. So back in verse 11 of chapter uh, 4 of James, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to kill and destroy. Who are you to judge another? When you judge another, you're not living a life that is reflecting the life that looks like someone who has a saving faith. James is saying. So what's he talking about here, though, when he says... He who speaks evil of a brother judges his brother and speaks evil of the law and judges the law. That sounds like complicated kind of stuff. Well, what did Jesus say in John 13, 34? A new commandment, a new law I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. John uh, repeats again. In First John 5, 21, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So James is saying to them, he who speaks evil of a brother judges the law and speaks evil of it. That's his point. So all of us have been in church culture where everyone seems to get everything right on the outside, right? <laughs> you know, they dress right, they look right, they, they worship right. Man, they know all the, the, those words, and they sing it with Holy Ghost fire, you know. Uh, they, wa- they walk right. You know, they, they, they get the holy strut thing going, you know, just going to church, whatever, this sort of deal. They talk right, but on the outside. As soon as they get behind closed doors, however, they start speaking evil of one uh, another. Listen, brethren, if that describes you, if that describes you, and I speak to my own heart also, the judge is standing at the door. Get ready for some pain. He's going to give you a spanking. (laughs) That's what James is saying. God takes really seriously what his own body, the body of Christ, looks like. Don't you take really seriously what your body uh, looks like? Oh, no, I'm so spiritual, I'll never look in the mirror. Oh, come on, now you're lying. That's a different sin, a different sermon. You, You take really seriously what your body looks like. So does the Lord. Don't speak evil. Against one another, James says. So, in verses 13, he switches direction here. Stays with the same theme. Is your life looking like the kind of life which produces, which is produced by a saving faith? But he switches direction. Verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, Buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this and or do that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil so let's refocus here so james again he's sti- sticking with the same theme what does a saving faith look like but he's bringing up a different issue so here's what's going on james overhearing people or maybe he's receiving letters uh, uh, this type of thing and he's o- overhearing people talk and this is what he's hearing so what's up with your life well i'm glad you ask. You know, right now I'm in this city doing this job. I'm going to make a certain amount of money. next uh, In about six months, I'm going to move to this other city. When I get to that city, I'm going to get this kind of job and make this kind of money. Then I'm going to find myself a wife and get married. Then I'm going back to school, making a career switch. I'm going to have 2.35 kids, and we're going to move into this other city where, the, where my family lives, and that's where I'm going to settle down. You know, I hear conversations like that in the church all the time. And James, but James is saying, wait a second, guys, can I ask you a question? Does God have anything to do with your plans? Anything at all? Does he have anything at all to do with what you're doing? Have you taken any time to ask him, God, are you okay with this stuff? Better yet, have you taken time to ask God, God, This is what I want to do, but is it what you want me to do? So I have a question for you in this room. Do you already have your one-year plan, your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, and your 20-year plan all mapped out? Is it all mapped out? Second question, who came up with a plan anyway? The one year, the five year, the 10 year, the 20 year. Was it the Lord? Are you intentionally and deliberately inviting God into everything you do? Do you regularly ask yourself, Lord, I know this is what I want. But my heart's really involved in this. Is this what you want? <laughs> when God answers no, no, that's not what I want. Are you open open to doing what he wants? Really, are you? James is saying a life, the life that is produced by someone, a man or woman who has a saving faith, brings God in to the decision-making process. I mean, we live in a country that is just obsessed about this sort of American dreams where we build up a barn, we tear it down. We build a bigger barn. We, 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 after a while, we tear that one down, we build a bigger barn. After a while, we tear that one down, we build a bigger barn. Then we croak. I mean, that, that, that seriously. It, 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 you, you listen to what the world is saying. Remember what we learned last week: the wisdom of the world is what earthly, sensual, and demonic. That's what. What. What was that? James chapter three, verse. Where is it? Fifteen. Wow, I'm impressed. But that that kind of wisdom is earthly, sensual, and demonic. If you weren't here, get the CD. But it, it, it fits the whole definition of all those three. Where is the Lord in your plans? That is what James is saying here. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, how do you want me to do it? Lord, when do you want me to do it? Lord, who do you want me to do it with? Bringing God into your life. So again, he says in verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So please, brothers and sisters, there's a better way, a blessed way, it's seeking and finding The will of God in your life. I love this other verse from 1 John. The world is passing away, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. The world is passing away, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And you know the wonderful thing about the word of God? Actually, Anthony and Irene, the worship team, they sung it uh, in one of their songs. It's only in your will, Lord. That I am free. It's so often it's fear keeping us away from doing the will of God, but that's such a lie because it's true. It's only in God's will that we are free. Jesus says, he who the son of man sets free is free indeed. You know, I just wanted to give you one example of this. Can you pull the lights, uh, Jose? I want to see if you recognize this picture. This picture is not really easy to see here. Anyone recognize this guy? Winja. It's Winjer. You guys know what that is in the background? Las Vegas. <laughs> no, it's not Las Vegas. <laughs> it is not Las. Ve- this place is the oh, could, could not be any more different than Las Vegas. Anyone know? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. I want everyone to pray for Winger. but I've been so blessed because he's been emailing some of us, and you know what he's saying. You can just leave the lights off for a second here. You know, you know what he's saying. He he he's saying. You know, I found out that uh, when you're in the military, you're not allowed to basically tell anyone about Jesus unless they bring it up to you. Well, I'm a contractor. I'm not in the military. <laughs> so he's been telling me these stories of speaking to people in Afghanistan never heard about Jesus they 're caught up in, in you know in the whole Muslim is uh, religion of islam now i don 't know anyone been reading about what 's happening in Afghanistan to people who have been telling others about jesus i mean it 's been all over the news really for the last six months. People being put to death, people being arrested at a minimum. if some foreigner's in there sharing Christ, it turns into like this international incident, but you know something. There is such a thing as a recklessness that is foolishness. But there's another kind of recklessness that's right inside the will of God. And he's simply been asking himself, look, I'm here in Afghanistan. This is not a coincidence. What am I supposed to do here, Lord? What am I doing here? What do you want me to do? And the Lord has told him. Tell people about Jesus it's going to be their only opportunity. So he's back in a few months, but there he is. Winger, pray for him. You can pull the lights. But that's a, but that's a, a wonderful example. And you know the wonderful thing, the will of God frees us. But let's close with verse 17. It says, therefore. Verse 17 of chapter 4. Therefore. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let's read that again. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. You know, I, I, I really appreciate that verse. I was just reflecting on it. It really does reflect... Again, getting back to that wisdom—that is earthly wisdom—it it reflects earthly wisdom when we're out on the streets, and and we have a a crew that go out every Saturday night. And we ask people, "So, are you going to heaven?" Well, yes. Why? Well, and they will start listing off like good things that they have got, done, good conduct, and and we tell them, "Look, we you know, can do you mind if we share some about what the Bible says, what it takes to get to heaven?" But what is so absent in in, in what people respond to so often times is, and is, what becomes evident in these conversations with people who don't know Jesus they don't know the Lord is the one thing that they know they should do submit themselves to God they don't do it They they pile up a whole bunch of good things good works, this type of thing and that they can recite them but in their heart they know that there's a good thing a thing that they need to do but they do not do it and and this you know it says to him it is sin the bible says that everybody on the face of the earth god's revealing himself to them are they going to lay hold of him this verse it begins with therefore which means that this verse is directly connected to the verses before it. And, and, you know, when I first read this verse, I'm like, what does this verse have anything to do with what we just read about? The verses that we just read about are, look... Find out the will of God. Don't just be bantering about what you're going to do for the next five years. Find out what the will of God is. And then it says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. What does that have to do with the preceding verse? Answer, everything. 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 I think of Matthew 25, Jesus speaking, parable of the talents. A man called three, uh, three of his servants. To the one, he gave five talents. To the one, he gave two talents. To the one, he gave what, uh, one talent. What's a talent? Talent is just a measurement of gold or silver or, or, or money or whatever. And so he gives one five talents. He gives one two talents. And he gives one one talent. And then he goes away and he comes back. And he says, what, so what happened? What did you do with your talents? And the one guy with five talents comes up and he says, well, look, I, 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 here's your five talents, but here's another five talents. I, I, I put it to work. And he goes, great, come and, come and enter into the joy of your Lord. It's a wonderful verse. Come, enter into the joy of your Lord, his joy. There's nothing that gives him more joy than to gather in a harvest. And then he says to the second guy, well, well, now you come. And the second guy says, wow, here's my, the two talents that you gave me. And here's another two talents that I made with those other two talents. And, and, and the, the master says the same thing. Come into the joy of your Lord, representing God, bring him in, in, into heaven. But then there was the third guy. He had one talent. And, and and he said, okay, well, what did you do with your one talent? And and, and he goes, you know, he goes, you're a hard taskmaster, and I knew you're a hard guy, so I was a little scared. So I uh I, I I dug a hole and I put the talent in there, and so well, I didn't do anything with it. Here you go. He knew he was supposed to do something, and he didn't do it, James chapter 4, verse 17. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, what's so striking about that parable is what Jesus uh, says to him, what Jesus says to him. In Matthew 25, verse 30, it, it, Jesus says, Rather, it's, it's Jesus, but it's the master. It says, the master says, cast that unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, a reference to hell. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin." You know, at its most profound level, again, this is talking about the gift that Jesus is offering to the world. And he's drawing men in. Romans chapter 1 says everybody's aware that God is there. Everybody is. And if they'll seek him, they'll find him. If they do that good part, that good work, they'll find him. And you know we can read a chapter like this and say to ourselves, wow you know my life doesn't look anything at all like the life that is described in this chapter. If that is the, th- if, if that is the case with you, if you've been thinking that, there's one of two reasons for that. One, reason could be that you're not saved. You're not saved. You have never entered into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Good. There's great news. That There's nothing you have to do in order to enter into a relationship with God and be saved. You simply accept Jesus and receive him by faith, the prayer of faith. There will be people right after the service standing right in front of this pulpit. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, by all means, come up. And pray. It's a simple prayer of faith. And a permanent transaction will happen, the Bible says. And it, it, we pray by faith, asking Jesus in our life, and God gives us a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That's good news. So if you're looking at this and you're saying, wow, this chapter doesn't look anything like my life, it could be that you're not saved. Well, let's, let's, pray, for, let's pray about that after the service. Uh, but you could be... Uh, reading this chapter and, and thinking to yourself, you know, I, I know about this life, and I've tasted it, but I tell you what, I fall so short of what is being described in this chapter. Chapter 4. And I have just been straying away. Well, I have good news for you, too. Just go back right there to verse 5 of chapter 4, same chapter. James says, and he says it to everybody who has that sinking feeling in their heart. God doesn't want you to have a sinking feeling. He wants you to embrace this. Verse 5 Or do you not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? In other words, God wants you back. And then he says in verse 6, But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. In other words, the Lord wants you back if you've been living apart from his word. He will give you the grace to live the word, but also when you go back again. Just as I said last week, you're going back to a place where your your master is Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, "Come to me all you are, who are who are laboring and and heavy and and burdened. Heavy laden and burdened," he says. And 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 I will give you rest. And he goes, take my yoke upon me for my burden uh, is, is easy. My, y- y- my burden is light. My yoke is easy. And, and so he, he's not going to be whipping you and flogging you when you come back into his presence. The Bible says that when you accept what Jesus did on the cross and you're saved, it's you are justified before the Lord, justified, just as if you've never sinned. In other words, when you go back to Christ after having received him in your heart, you're going back into a chamber where it's just as if you've never sinned. That's what grace is all about. Yes, does that sound too good to be true? It is. It is to be too good to be true to the world. It costs so little to us because it costs God so much. It costs him own, his own son. And it says he yearns jealously for you to come back, verse 5. And that's the great news of this chapter. And that's why James, man, does he, he, he doesn't pull the punches. He tells it like it is. But there's always this wonderful backdrop of grace. This backdrop of grace where we can go where there's a blank slate there, Jesus wiped it clean for us. God's not waiting for you, Christian, with a, uh, a, a board that has all your sins written on it that you've done in the last week. It's, it's permanently and always blank. That's what grace is all about. So again, there'll be folks um, up here after the service, if you'd like just to pray through some issue that you, you've you had or this strikes a chord and you'd like to return to that place of grace, you know, where the Spirit's there, you know, uh, yearning jealously for, uh, for you to come back, come up and pray. Or, or if you've never asked Jesus into your life, uh, the prayer team will be up here so why don't we actually now let's close in prayer if the worship team could come up we're going to close with a worship song but let's close in prayer father I just thank you so much for uh, this word Lord and, and, and what a wonderful backdrop there is of grace Lord your, your word says that you yearn for us you call us jealously Lord you love us in that way You love us, Lord, in a way your Word says that no human being—our mother, our father, our, our kids, our, our siblings—can ever possibly love us. In a thousand lifetimes, Lord, you you love us. You yearn jealously for us, and Lord, we're yearning back. <laughs> we want you this morning. I speak for my own heart too, Lord. We want you, we need you, we love you, Father. I just pray, Lord, even as this, this word also says, Lord, it says that if we draw close to you, if we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us, Lord, that you would do that work, that blessed work in the life of every man and woman in this room, Lord this morning, Lord. I just pray that you would do that work, believing your word, that every promise in it is yes and amen. And we pray and we say amen in Jesus' name.